Welcome to the Garden Culture Podcast hosted by me, Bailey Van Tassel. I'm a self-taught gardener, busy wife and mother, and small business owner on a mission to live a garden-inspired life. Each month, we will explore what's going on in the garden and fields, as well as get to know incredible people who infuse their own lives with the magic of the garden. For more information on any techniques, recipes, or ideas mentioned here, please visit us at baileyvantassel.com slash podcast. Hello, Miss Kate. How are you? I'm so good. Thanks for having me, Bailey. I'm so excited to have an actual, like, long form, real conversation and not just like hurried voice texts back and forth through Instagram. (laughs) Yes. It's been a long time coming. I know for sure. Um, I'm really excited because I feel like you guys are in the thick of harvesting right now. And I'm, I like want to hear all, all the details, but I first want to ask you to describe, how would you introduce yourself? So I'm Kate and we live in Northern British Columbia, Canada. I have five kids and I have a pretty awesome husband and we love to raise our own food. We get a kick out of growing things ourselves. Started because we liked eating good food and we could not afford to buy good food. So we started doing what we could to grow it ourselves and it became like our life's goal, so to speak, it seems. That's awesome. I feel like um, one day we were talking and we were talking a little bit about, because you do a lot of like sharing about your lifestyle, content creation, if you will. Obviously you're an entrepreneur and we'll talk a little bit about your business too, but it didn't occur to me how much of your niche is recipe based and food focused because you really involve us in a lot of different aspects of your life, which I love because you have such a point of view, you have a perspective, you have a mission and a story to tell and you do it so beautifully. Um, and the food just, you just get sucked into it. And my, I mean, my favorite thing, cause I've made many of your recipes are the stories that you tell alongside them. You do such a good job of that, but it didn't even really occur to me how much of your work really is recipe development and testing. Yeah, it's a it's definitely a huge part of it. I literally have like three of my recipe binders beside me right now working on putting together a Christmas freebie. So I was like, okay, what recipes say Christmas to us? Okay, I'm gonna go through all my binders. So it's a huge part of our business. Um, not recipes in terms of food, but also drink and you know, just everything that you consume. Yeah, for sure. I think uh I I don't want to even say, I think I feel like I know the world is absolutely fascinated by what other people are eating and drinking, um, which in itself is fascinating to me. Um, But I'm no different. I'm always like, I just feel like it's the greatest indulgence to like see inside someone's fridge. Like I always want to see inside the fridge. Okay. I have to tell you a really funny thing. Yes. I, YouTube video, I did this whole thing where I like (laughs) used up all these leftovers to make this lasagna. And I was so proud of myself. And I showed the fridge being like, look at how empty and clean my fridge is now. And there's a comment being like, your fridge is disgusting. You need to clean your fridge. <laughs> I was like, joke's on you. It looks amazing. You should have seen it before. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, your ebook right now that is out is all about using up like leftovers and kind of bits and bobs, right? Yeah. It's called Small Beginnings and it's all about 
you know, taking the tails of one meal and turning them into the head of the next meal. So thinking of food less as a meal by meal, but more as a running thought process. I love that. Okay. I have so many questions. So when it comes to your meals in the garden, what's the correlation? Like, how do you map out what you grow? And is it really like, are you really thinking meal forward with what you grow? Or are you like, this is just what we can grow and that dictates the meals? Like, what's that look like for you? So for those who haven't put two and two together, Northern British Columbia, Canada is a very cold place to live. What zone um, are you? We're zone three. Ooh, yeah. And our last frost is in June. And our first frost is in August to September. So we're kind of May to June to August to September is our growing season. I mean, that's so crazy short. But we're really far north. So we have like over 20 hours of daylight for some months, right? Mm. So do you so have a Persephone have, oh, period? What's that? Um, so that'd probably be no. It's when the amount of sunlight drops below 10 hours a day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> yes, of course. Oh, yes, um, you do. We have like eight hours of daylight in okay. the dark days. Okay. I don't even understand how the globe works. It's a problem. Um, yeah. So we have long days and then we have long winters, <laughs> short, long nights. So, it. you know, so our growing season is short but intense. But the other thing about our growing season here in Northern British Columbia versus like Northern Alberta, where they're like same winter coldness, same snow, same zone, they have more heat units. Mm. So even though they have the same growing season, if you look at days between frost and zone, they have more heat units. So they can grow things outside that we cannot grow. Mm -hmm. So a lot of our growing is based on what even thrives here. And that's what we base what we eat around. Beautiful. Have you ever considered a high tunnel, polytunnel greenhouse cold frame we option? We have a small one. Okay. It's okay. Twelve by fifteen. Okay. And what do you um, use that for? It currently has pickling cucumbers, green beans, and I just planted some spinach and peppers and tomatoes. Oh wow! Oh, that's great. So you can't grow preserving amounts of anything in that size, but you can grow snacking amounts. Yeah, yeah. Well, like there's maybe a dozen cucumber plants, right? On that yeah. fills up one complete bed. Yeah. On one side. And then we have a small bed in the middle and then a long bed on the other side. Yeah. Well, and I feel like at least in my at my garden, which is small, I mean, I often grow things for the snacking purpose and for getting the kids out in the garden and just having them free range it so that it can be like I feel like that in itself is sort of it's a yeah. it's a, a choice. So let's step back to like where our gardening roots come from, because this is going to give you some perspective on, on how we grow. Yeah, so please. Marius, the men in Marius's family are the biggest gardeners. So his dad and his grandpa, who are all Marius, just like our um, oldest son is also Marius, hmm. but they're all either called Marius or Mac. So um, <laughs> Grandpa Mac is Marius's grandpa and Big Mac is what I call his dad. And then our Mac is just Mac. Oh my God. I love it so much. So Grandpa Mac and Big Mac, they grow for preserving in mind. They grow very few fresh eating vegetables. It's all about what are you canning and root cellaring for winter. 
They don't do any fermenting. Um, they do dry things. So they kind of do drying, canning, and root cellaring. Got it. Um, I grew up, my mom didn't garden. Her mom gardened for sustenance. Like these are all sustenance growers, right? Like yeah. They're growing because they need to live. Mm-hmm. So my grandma was a sustenance grower who then turned into a hobby grower after her kids had grown and left. Um, my mom believed a lie that she couldn't grow things that mm. she was not a gardener because a couple of times she had tried and she didn't succeed. Um, then when I was about eight, I think I asked if we could have like a couple pots of lettuce, that sort of thing. And then soon we had a couple raised beds. And then when I was about 14 or 15, we had probably like a 25 by 40 garden. We b- moved to a new house and we like tilled in and fenced a legit garden. Oh, nice. And my mom has now unlearned that mindset and knows that she is an excellent gardener. She grafts fruit trees. She has a berry garden. She grows amazing garlic. She has a thing for growing heirloom things that have fun names. Like if she finds something that has a name that's like somehow related to a family or friend, she will grow Mm, that to be able to give them for (laughs) I love your mom. She's pretty fun. I actually have... um, a garden tour that she did on my YouTube channel, maybe 2020, July, 2020. I'll find it for you. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Send me that. First of all, from where I stand, I feel like you had a really interesting, unique, cool childhood, um, reflective obviously of kind of how you live now. And I love that. I mean, you started gardening when you were eight. I actually didn't know that because I know you talk a lot about how Marius and the men in his family are the gardeners and it, it seems maybe like he leads the charge on that. But you definitely, I mean, you grew up with that being a drive so, and an interest. When I kind of tried to do little gardens when we lived in different rentals and none of them really thrived. Um, I had a lot of health issues when our oldest kids were younger. And when we moved to our first house that we owned in 2013, 2014, 2014. Marius built raised beds and I promptly did basically nothing with them. (laughs) I was overwhelmed. I could not do anything. He filled them all with potatoes. He was like, well, at least we'll get potatoes. And then one year my mom planted them with like tomatoes and peppers. I was just like, I have too much on my plate. I cannot garden. I cannot mentally add that. Like that's not in my thing. And I didn't get how the rest of my family was like, oh, it's so relaxing to go in the garden. And I'm like, it's a freaking noose around my neck, like that dang garden. And then we moved to Northern British Columbia because we used to live in Southern British Columbia in a more temperate, like a zone seven. Oh, wow. So we moved to Northern British Columbia and we moved to this beautiful 34 acre property. And we decided that our kids were no longer doing a hybrid like homeschool, go to school program. They were going to be hundred percent homeschooled. And we decided that we were serious about growing our own food. And we live in a very fertile Valley. Like, um, there's three to four, four valleys in this province. And like our province is huge. So there's four valleys that are super fertile and that's where all the dairy farms are. Like there's mm-hmm. not dairy farms spread throughout the pro- province. They're in these fertile valleys. And we live in one of those fertile valleys. So like we literally tilled the ground, added a bit in manure and have an amazing garden. 
Oh my God. I'm so out of control jealous. It's like not even real. So the first year we were here, I had my father-in-law come because we bought in summer and I was like, okay, where do we put a garden? I want to till it in this fall so that it can start breaking down. So he picked our garden spot for us um, based on like location to where we would be watering it from and exposure and um, drainage. And we've had a lot of water issues in our area in the last few years. And the fact that our garden is on a slope has saved us. The amount of people whose gardens have drowned and ours have not because he picked a slight slope Mm. is, you know, it's what has made us thrive. Oh, that's amazing. Well, so I want to back up for a second. So when you guys, when you say you and Marius decided you guys wanted to obviously fully homeschool the kids, grow your food, all of that, was that like a deliberate conversation that when you guys chose to have with each other, did it just kind of naturally evolve or were you like, no, I want this to happen or vice versa with him? So we lived on the island I grew up on and it's a very progressive, liberal, expensive place to live. (laughs) And there isn't really wild spaces for kids to be, but there also isn't um, like rec centers either. So kids get into a lot of trouble because they don't have anything to do Uh, once they get out of the little kid age. So we knew we didn't want our kids to be there um, when they got to double digits, so to speak. So our oldest was about eight when we moved here. We wanted our kids to have a wild and free childhood. Like Marius will hardly let the kids walk around our small town. But like they biked through the forest to the neighbors today, right? Like I also have not forgotten that I want footage of this fort that they're building. I haven't even seen it yet. (laughs) I love that. I really need to go out there. Um, So it definitely was like a deliberate conversation that we wanted our kids like to have very wild and free life. We wanted them to live a childhood where they had to work hard at growing their own food. Like we wanted them to have that experience. And I was in the grocery store the other day and we were going through the self-checkout because the kids love the self-checkout. Um, and this guy was like, Oh, you know, good real world job experience for them going through self-checkout. And in my head, I was like, dude, you have no idea what sort of real world kids, these kids have on a daily basis. Like, uh, I feel like your kids could probably come like, outperform myself and my husband if like anything went wrong. They could probably install like our air conditioning units. Uh, we haven't done electrical yet. So <laughs> still, they could I love for it. sure show you how to survive in the bush. <laughs> Which I mean, they could be millionaires in Orange County, California, teaching people wilderness skills. Let me tell you. Um, so a you- big change when we moved here, this mm-hmm. is, I was getting towards this here. I had a mindset change. Mm. Uh, my love language is acts of service. So I thought I needed to garden because it was something that filled my cup. Mm. And when I had a mental switch, mind frame switch, mindset switch, shift, um, to I grow a garden as an act of service for my family. Mm, yeah. And I fell in love with it after that mindset shift. How interesting. I love that. Well, and I think, I mean, I think it's beautiful that you came to that conclusion and you had that shift happen, but I do feel like um, the way we perceive like the work of the garden is 
totally help. It, it determines the amount of like joy you get from it. But yeah. I do think there are a lot of people that just garden for totally different reasons. And so I think that's really interesting. So Our you guys. Two summers here too, I helped my sister in her garden a lot. The first year I didn't have a garden. The second year I did and we helped each other. And that really helped me like switch into like, what can we grow here? Using landscape cloth to save on like weeds and that sort of thing. Like mm -hmm. that was a huge leg up being able to um, learn from her. So yeah, you guys, okay. So you guys, you like burn holes in the landscape cloth. And yeah. you, so it's a weed suppressant primarily for you. Keep, And I'm assuming it keeps the soil warmer. It keeps the soil warmer. It um, retains moisture too. Yeah. Like it's almost always wet under there. It's just like a mulch. So yeah. what do you guys, what do you guys grow then? Grow in that? Or, or just in general, I guess. Okay. So we have four garden areas. <laughs> we <laughs> have the big garden, which is our preserving garden. So it's just like your standard row crop garden. And it's about a quarter of an acre, I think. Like 75 Whoa. by 150. I think that's a quarter acre. Mm-hmm. Maybe not quite. It's like 75 by 150. So top to bottom, we have potatoes. We have, I think, about a dozen rows of potatoes. So they're about 60, 70 feet long. And then we have two rows of brassicas, which is like your broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage family. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people don't know what brassica is. And they're like, you're what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. And you're cucurbits, right? Like, yeah, cucurbits. <laughs> so I plant brassicas in a landscape cloth, and those are pretty intensively planted in my four foot wide landscape cloths, you know, 60 to 70 feet long. I plant 200. Wow. So we have two rows of those. So I planted about 400 brassicas, 200 cabbages, 200 cabbage, sorry, cauliflower. 200 combined cauliflower, broccoli, Brussels sprouts. Got it. Um, then I have two rows of green beans. Then I have two double rows, so four rows total of onions. And then I have eight rows of carrots. And then I have two double rows of snap peas. No, that's incredible. I, I was going to say, so one of the things that I like loved that you've addressed online before is like when you're growing food literally as like sustenance, you have to take a little bit of a different approach. And I remember you had some trouble with your brassicas maybe last year. And so every year, no. every year I know um, you were kind of taking some interventions and you were, and I know, I guess I'll sort of to give context, I always feel like an onslaught of like shame coming when if I have to use any, even if it's an organic approach in the garden, that's not just like 100% natural or biodynamic or something. If I share publicly about it, which I strive to do always, um, I wanted to just hear your philosophy on it. Yeah. So on our, we get root maggot in our brassicas. We didn't get it the first year. We got it the second year third year, four, is this our fourth year? 2019, 20, 21, 22. This is our fourth year with this garden. Um, this year it was really bad. I had to treat twice. So um, Safer's Endol is an organic approved derived from chrysanthemum pesticide. Oh, cool. And you dilute it and you pour it at the base of the roots and it kills it in all cycles. So my question is this, if you're growing 
broccoli and you're trying to grow a lot of broccoli and your broccoli crop gets decimated by root maggot, are you going to find someone who grows completely spray-free broccoli and buy equal amounts of that? Or are you just going to be buying broccoli at the store, whether conventional or organic? Because remember, if they're organic, they're probably also using the same product. Yeah. Right? So why not keep it at home, use the dang $10 treatment, and save your crop? Yeah. I think that's brilliant. And I couldn't agree more because I think there's also... Um, like I personally just get a lot. I had a bunch of people kind of DMing me about having fake grass <laughs> and it came with our house and they're talking about like microplastics and toxins and this and that. And that is a common thing, you know, like anything leaching into the soil. And I guess I feel and like from their Starbucks plastic cup. <laughs> exactly. My God. I feel like there's a point where we have to kind of it's the same thing with our own bodies. Like our, you know, I feel like there's like an 80-20 situation going yes. on where it's like, okay, we can make some compromises for the overall well-being, ease, health. This is just what needs to happen, reality of life. And yeah. I just love that you share that because I think a lot of people want to be purists and like really want to advocate for something when, but when the rubber meets the road and you really are trying to actually feed your family or actually grow a full crop of something, sometimes you have to make these choices. And I think being able to think through the pros and cons, you just do a really good job of that on all levels. I feel like you're very logical, very clear thinker. Where I want to be like a, oh, what's the word? Like, you know, be a, not perfectionist, but you know, when I want to be like, no, we're going to be perfect and everything. No. Yeah. Purist. That's the word. Mary says, like, no, we are going to treat the bees for mites. No, we are going to treat the cows for the dang, we are going to give them some vaccines. No, we are going to give them grain. I don't care if it's more holistic to not give them grain. We put a lot of time in if feeding grain gives them us a bit more milk. Well, guess what? We're feeding them grain. So, like, Marius is also, like, he also loves to joke, like, oh, you should just spray Roundup on it. And I'm like, it wouldn't even work. It's the wrong crop. <laughs> And he's like, I'm just trying to get a rise out of you. Yeah. It worked. It worked. Stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I love that. And I think like, I mean, obviously I feel like I know you never really know. I mean, you eat so clean as it is. I mean, anyone that's like really trying to organically garden or grow or holistically homestead, like you're so far ahead of the game and the masses, which I know isn't the point. Like I'm not trying to do anything to be ahead of the masses. I'm just trying to do it. Mm -hmm good for my family, my health, the world in my own way. Um, But I think it's always important to keep that in mind. Okay, real quick. I want to tell you about the Kitchen Garden Society. It's my monthly gardening club for all levels of gardener and in all U.S. hardiness zones. We're helping gardeners everywhere save time, maximize your yield, and build your true instincts. Each month in the Kitchen Garden Society, you get a to-do list of what to be harvesting, sowing and transplanting, as well as what you should tend and task to. You get seasonal recipes and deep dive timely lessons to accompany the skills you're going to need in the garden this time of year. You hear from experts each month and get daily inspiration for seasonal living, as well as the opportunity to share and ask questions in our members-only Facebook group. I hope you'll visit us at thekitchengardensociety.com and check it out. 
We had a situation where we were going to deworm our cows and I asked the vet for something that was organic certified. And he said, there is no organic certified dewormer. And I was like, well, what does the organic farm use? He says, well, they just don't say they use it. (laughs) Exactly. I was like, oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of the dismantling of me trusting the organic system. Yeah, I feel like um, if I have to choose organics better than non-organic, but I don't really consider it by a big degree. Um, Like if someone's like all organic, I'm just like, okay, well, that's still kind of a sham. Like I will always choose local first. Like the peaches, they're not organic, but they're from our province. The tomatoes, none of them are organic, but they're all from our province. They were no extra emissions to get here. My mother-in-law picked them up when she was visiting her family and brought us a bunch of peaches and tomatoes and that sort of thing. Like to me, that wins because oh, if sure. organic peaches had to come and be trucked across. So maybe the fruit I'm eating doesn't have the spray on it, but we just left all those emissions from here to the other side of the U.S. 100%. Well, and on that note, so you just were sharing something that I think is so, so crucial, especially along the lines of like not even necessarily non-purist, but um, I was asked a question about like, how much fear do I have for the future? Like how much of my gardening is based around like prepping or like, you know, apocalyptic fear, whatever. And I really said mostly none, but um, I really believe, and I know you do too, and I want to hear your stance on it in this community approach. Like you just were, you just shared something like fell right into my lap. I was so excited about that. Would Can you expand on that? Yeah. So what I shared this morning was about the idea of community suffic- sufficiency over self-sufficiency. And it was yes. a post on Instagram and it was something like, okay, so the situation was this morning, a cow got its head stuck in a wooden mineral feeder and ripped it off the side of the barn and was running around rodeoing with this wooden feeder stuck Oh my God. Head. And Mary's is like, I can't do this on my own. Like, this is not happening. I'm out there in my like blur up slippers and a pinafore pine and smith. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not going in there. And he was like, well, yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, let me get changed. And he was like, I need more men. I need more manpower here. So I called one neighbor. He grabbed his brother, who's his neighbor. And he came. I called Mary's his brother. He was like, I was just on my way to work, but he's you know kind of self-employed. So he hopped in his vehicle and came. And within 15 to 20 minutes, we had three men here. So my point was, would self-sufficiency bring you that? That is no, like being able to get three men here within 15 to 20 minutes is the result of community relationships that we have been fostering for years. Yeah. So we have these community, like this community sufficiency, like we don't grow our own hay. We trade, we graze beef cows for a farmer and he pays us in hay. Mm-hmm. And I've had two other friends pay us in hay this year for things in a trade. And that's great. We need hay. Like, why not? Well, I think it's beautiful. Um, I grew up like that. And I have so many cool memories of just these awesome people full of genuine character that would come and help if there was like, we used to have mules that would get out on this like busy <laughs> straightaway. And I just remember my dad, you know, like profanity laced, just, you know, freaking out. And this, it's his team of mules. He was like trying to get him hooked up because he used to be a a teamster. And so he would drive his wagon with his mules and 
when we get out and they'd be up this steep road, it was just total chaos. And even though that I, I mean, I grew up in sort of ag country for Cal- Northern California, you, that's not like super common, but we had our go-tos, right? So we'd have like trucks pulling, everyone's got like a system and an approach. And then likewise, I remember someone calling and it's kind of, you drop everything if like Lee over at Walker Apples is having an issue with a conveyor belt and like, it's an emergency. It's all hands on deck. You just go. And I think those relationships are at least where I sit in the world. Like that's such a dying art. That's such a beautiful thing to be a part of. And it takes, but it takes conscious effort. Um, But I think it's really enriching in so many different ways. I think it bonds you in friendship in a different way when you have shared work. Like I love to do things like make bagels with friends like a friend, like friends coming over for coffee and like I mix up bagel dough and together we like roll them and boil them and bake them. Like working together bonds you in a way that sitting and drinking coffee can't. Mm -hmm. I so agree with you. You're so good about that. And I always love when you share what you're making when to take to someone that is like going through a thing or, I mean, how often now do people even know what's going on during the hard times of people's lives, you know? Totally. I think that's amazing. It is. It's, I think it's important to feed people. (laughs) I agree with you. I agree with you. Um, Okay. So a question I have is, are there any, when it comes to growing, and maybe this is a Mary's question, but I think I'm, I know you would know, do you guys have any specific like philosophies or approaches on like how you garden or is it all just like, this is just what we know to work? Um, we really lean into local knowledge. Yeah. Like we really, really lean into like the older generations and like what did they do and how did they do it? In t- and sometimes you can end up with things that are like, you know, old school, not in a good way. Um, but it is where you'll find the best local knowledge so that you can, maybe there's this new thing you want to try and you can take their knowledge of the area and decide if it would work for your climate, yeah, right? Because something that. that works for you is probably not going to work for me. I mean, this is going to be sort of a silly question <laughs> off of what you just said, but are there any resources that you have liked when it comes to gardening Online, other than like, like just straight up local word of mouth? Yeah. So um, Linda Gilkison. is a really neat gardener where I grew up and she has books called like year round gardening and such. She also has like a newsletter that she sends out every month being like, you should be starting your winter carrots right now. Like that sort of stuff. So if you're in a similar climate to her, she's like someone you need to be on her list. She's like the OG kitchen garden society. (laughs) Pardon me. It's like the garden club I have, like where you get it's, but she's like OG. So she has like published books too. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Um, so she's really good. And we really believe in the power of animal manure. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like that is our top, top philosophy is that you need animal manure. Okay. So how do you manage that? Do you guys like have a specific like manure compost system? Do you let it dry out for a certain amount of time? Like how do you do that? So we make piles. Okay. And you um 
you use the oldest pile first. And chicken manure needs to be like a year old. Cow manure can be like six months old, but we don't usually need it at that point anyways. But we kind of just make piles and we use the oldest one first. I love that. I recently visited my godmother who is like my- Yes, I love seeing that. Auntie Pammy. Oh my, so she's a big fan of yours, by the way. And um, I sent her a venison for dinner mug. I already told you the story, but I'll share it again because um, she taught me how to hunt. And every year on Valentine's Day, her and her husband save a deer heart to eat on Valentine's Day. And she'll just like pan fry it or whatever. And so I was always like eating crazy game with her. And they're just big. We used to, I used to host an elk hunt and they'd come out. And so we just eat a lot of venison with them. And so, um, but now she's, she's your biggest fan. But she was telling me about rabbit poop and how it you can just instantly put it in the garden. And now I'm like running around suburbia trying to rig up people's pet rabbit like cages with something that will work for me to get all of their rabbit poop. Come on, Joe, just get some rabbits. I know. I think I could maybe convince him. Um, he's not sold on chickens, but we live in this like... I can't remember the word for it. This area where coyotes like literally just pass through our backyard. The only thing between us is a fence. And so we feel like that's just bait. But I mean, when I lived out in the country, we had coyotes and stuff too. I guess there was just way more land in between us and them. Oh yeah. Marius was outside at 1.45 AM because he was like, I kept hearing like the coyotes, but then I kept hearing this other noise and I couldn't figure out what it was. And then I realized it was the goats. So he went out to check and they were fine. Yeah, Yeah. I know. I just, it's the excuse is like running short now. I'm like bunny hutch. I'm going to find one on Facebook marketplace and just make it happen. Once my kids are like FFA age, I feel like they can show rabbits or something. I can maybe get them all involved. And like, if you only have a couple rabbits and you fill up their feeder and waterer, it would literally not even be a daily job. Yeah. Because you have like two liter water bottles on them. And then like a big feeder hopper. I feel like you need to handle them if you want to handle them though. Cause they'll be kind of. Yes, unique. but you can like go away. Yeah. <laughs> you can still travel. We cannot. <laughs> I know. So you guys, I mean, you're so crazy tied to the land. Do you envision, well, this leads into my next question too, which is what do the next 10 years look like for you? If you've thought about that, are you like a five-year, 10-year planner person? Do you have, you know, big goals? Is this your long-term place? That's seven questions in one, but. So we actually do get away um, occasionally, both Marius and I, but we're also content with the fact that we live life together every day because he's home full time. Then it's okay if just like I go away with a couple of kids and then he goes away with a couple of kids. Like, oh yeah. That's fine. So while we would love to go away as a family, it's also fine that for now we just like one or the other goes away. So he goes away more than me. Um, He almost always takes kids with him. Um, So I I don't feel like we want to go away more. We do have some plans in the works that would make it easier for us to go away, but those are not public plans at this point. Um, I want to know if you're coming to Southern California anytime soon. I am not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I just had to throw it out there. So we don't like plan things. We like pick a direction we're heading. Yeah. 
I like, like that. we have like for each area of our life, we have like a direction we're heading and sometimes we can get that direction faster. And sometimes it takes us a while longer than we thought, but like we kind of just pick directions. Got it. So you mean like in regards to like a 10 year plan? Yeah. Got it. How about for you in terms of, I know it was, it's been really cool and inspiring for me to see your success really blossom to the point where Marius gets to stay home and you guys really get to have this home-based family business. What does that look like for you in the future? Like, is it just more of the same or do you have? I think more of the same. Yeah. Um, I have lots of ideas and it's just a matter of making those ideas come to fruition and also like spreading out those ideas so I don't inundate people. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. I totally understand that. I love that. Um, Okay. So where can everybody find you that wants to hang out with you? For dinner everywhere. I'm venison for dinner on YouTube. I'm venison for dinner on Instagram. I'm venisonfordinner.com. And our main gig is we have a membership, uh, our homemade life or homesteading without the BS, where we teach all things homemade from cheese making to butchering to uh, wood fired oven cooking to uh, like we have plant based things, we have fermentation, we try to have something for everybody. I love that. I'm so inspired by that program. I think you do such a great job with it. And I know people, I mean, you're, you, I mean, people are just die hard in love and get so much out of that content. It's pretty fun. Okay. Last question. How often do you eat venison for dinner? Is that cliche? Does everyone ask you that? So when I started venison for dinner, we ate venison for dinner like five nights a week. <laughs> because venison was very plentiful where we lived. Mm. Um, it is less plentiful here. Mm-hmm. And also there's a lot more of us. So now we kind of have like one deer, which is like oh, 60 pounds of meat for a year. Okay. So, you know, that's what, like 30 meals for us. That's so, great. you know, it's not that many meals. We our family got a lot bigger and no longer. And also you could get more deer where we used to live than you can get here and just lots of logistics. Yeah. You definitely have a big family. I do. It's the average size here though. Is it? Oh yeah. My best friends have six and seven kids. So you're going to need to keep going to actually have a big family respectively. (laughs) (laughs) You just have like, you have like two and a half kids in American standards. Like if like the conversion rate. (laughs) I guess so when we went um, back to where I grew up for my mom's wedding last year, she married my stepdad. They've been together for a long time, but they got married. And this woman who I knew growing up, she was like, these are, these are all your kids. (laughs) Well, also you're ageless. Like you look like you're 12. I know you started young, but like, you know, I'm 30. I love that. But I still think, I mean, in my, in my mind, you're maybe 22. I totally look at my boys, like my oldest is 13 and he's the smallest of his friends, but they're like, they're so tall. Like they're like taller than me. Like they weigh more than me and they're like 12 and 13. And I'm like, surely I'm not that much older than them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I your older sister. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like your third, like in my experience, my thirties have had been this weird series of like, wait, I'm 
way older than I thought I was. Like in regard to the way I view the rest of the world. I'm like, oh, my, my husband's a big football fan. So I'm always like the professional athletes in your mind, I think of it like a little kid, like they're adults. And I'm like, oh my God, you guys are like baby children throwing yourselves around a football field. That's crazy. <laughs> I'm not, are you guys football fans? We don't watch any <laughs> I laugh just even asking you that. Um, um, Marius used to go watch hockey at a friend's house sometimes. Um, like we've never had like cable TV or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, but now he gets a kick out of just watching the like 10 minute recap video on YouTube the next day. Yeah. Oh, I love that. So he watches that on hockey. Like the next day he just watches the 10 minute recap. Well, did you grow up like that? Like, so on the island that you grew up on, was your childhood like wild and free like your kids or was that, yeah. or did you have more traditional? Okay. Yeah, I I went to school, but like we didn't really have TV and we lived on acreage always and we were allowed to do lots of different things and Mary's was similar. They didn't have TV. They they didn't live on a farm, but all his friends lived on farms and he went to a small Christian school and How did you guys meet? We met through mutual friends. Oh cool. Mm-hmm. I never heard that story. If you uh, look on Instagram, hashtag how Marius and Kate met or how Kate and Marius met, there's our whole story up to our marriage. There you go. I'm just going to do like a venison for dinner binge. (laughs) I love it. Well, I super appreciate your time. Thank you for chatting with me. I love always just being a small part of your world and really admire what you guys are doing. Well, thank you so much for having me. I hope this episode has been balm for the soul and inspiration for the heart. I would love if you left a review to let me know your thoughts or anything you're interested in learning. And I'm so grateful that you found this space. For more information on any techniques, recipes, or ideas mentioned, visit us at baileyvantassel.com slash podcast.